0: Today's reading is Acts 20, 17 through 35. From Miletus, he sent a message to Ephesus, calling for the church's elders to meet him. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived among you the whole time I was with you, beginning with the first day I arrived in the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of trials that came upon me because of the Jews' schemes. You know I held back nothing that would be helpful so that I could proclaim to you and teach you both publicly and privately in your homes. You know I have testified to both Jews and Greeks that they must change their hearts and lives as they turn to God and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what will happen to me there. What I do know is that the Holy Spirit testifies to me from city to city that prisons and troubles await me. But nothing, not even my life, is more important than my completing my mission. This this is nothing other than the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify about the good news of God's grace. I know that none of you will see me again, you among whom I traveled and proclaimed the kingdom. Therefore, today, I testify to you that I am not responsible for anyone's fate. I haven't avoided proclaiming the entire plan of God to you. Watch yourselves and the whole flock in which the Holy Spirit has placed you as supervisors to shepherds God's church, which he obtained with the death of his own son. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in come in among you and won't spare the flock. Some of your own people will distort the word in order to lure followers after them. Stay alert, remember that for three years I constantly and tearfully warned each and every one of you. I never stopped warning you. Now I entrust you to God and the message of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all whom God has made holy. I haven't craved anyone's silver, gold, or clothing. You yourselves know that I have provided for my own needs and for those of my companions with my own hands. In everything, I have shown you that by working hard, we must help the weak. In this way, we remember the Lord Jesus' words. It is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Hello, Grace. My name is Daniel Long, and for those of you who are new, glad you're here with us. Those of you who are tuning in on the live stream, I'm glad you're here. Those of you outside, hope to see you. Um, and. So I have some good news, which you, if you are somehow a part of the newsletter, uh, which you should be, and this is going to remind you that you should be, you received some communication uh, that we think that God has brought a candidate for the third, um, the third pastor of the lead pastoral team. Yep, that is exciting. It's Ramona. I just want to give you a sense of the, Ramona's excited, other people on the search team, they're raising their hands because they're thinking, okay, whew, that was a long long way to go. Uh, But I just want to remind you of the process uh, so that we are aware of what's going on. So our, this is above me, or yeah, you'll see, Will vakurvich that's how you say his name. Uh, People are gonna ask, Will Vukovic and his wife Erin and their two sons, Will and Micah, they are going to be coming here on the 31st uh, to be with us and to participate in uh, the service with us, and here's why. So we got together people from our church, representatives of Grace Long Beach, to be part of a search team that was then tasked to help Nancy Moore who was part of our process of finding various candidates, to present various candidates to me, to Beth, to the elders, in order to have time with them, to engage with them. And so this happened with a few, like quite a few candidates. And we think that Will is actually the number one choice of those candidates. So a lot of, a lot of conversations, a lot of time, a lot of discernment went into this. Now the search team, after some time with the candidates, they presented unanimously to the elders, Will, as candidate for number three of the lead pastoral team. Then the elders then had to decide if they were going to receive that recommendation, and the elders decided unanimously to accept the recommendation of the search team. So then now, on that basis, we then present, the elders present to you, the third pastor of the lead pastoral team, because ultimately it is our decision. This isn't a done deal yet. This is a process of discernment that includes so many different voices, and ultimately those of you who are members of this church, your voice as well. So that's why Will's going to be coming out, he and his family, uh, the weekend of the 31st. Halloween, because what else is there to do? Uh, And he's going to participate in in a weekend with us and a service with us. You're going to be able to hear from Will. He's going to preach on the 31st. Following that time, there'll be some more extended opportunity to get to know Will, his family, and then that will be followed up with a vote. And then that will ultimately determine if Will is going to be the third pastor of the lead pastoral team. So that is the process that we are taking and that is where we are in that process. I tell you that for a few different reasons. One, because God is good and that is exciting. After meeting Will, after meeting his family, it seems like he would be such a good fit, uh, that he would want to come and participate in what God is doing. Like we haven't been waiting for Will so that God can start working. Uh, God has been at work, and we think Will is such a good complement to what the Spirit is up to in our community. And we think that he's going to challenge us and and help to to lead and guide us together as a church to what God might have. So we need your prayers. We need your ongoing discernment uh, for that process. And it's also a reminder, I started joking about this, but I'm serious, to sign up for the newsletter because we want just because it's good no not really well we want to be able to continue to give you more information about will and his family as we lead up to the 31st so that you're not hearing everything about will which is impossible on that one day or one weekend so sign up for that the newsletter more information will be coming out even from the elders and some from the search team about who will is and and why we we think that that God is up to something here. So that's exciting. That sounds good. That's wonderful. Yes, amen. And be praying for, for again, Will, his wife Aaron, their two sons, Will and Micah, uh, because, you know, if this is ultimately what, what we, God, seems to be doing here, then that is a, that is a transition. And with all transitions, it requires, um, it, it requires the Spirit of God to help sustain and to lead. So excited about that, excited to tell you that, and now we're going to transition into hearing from God's Word. Uh, I'm going to pray, but I'm actually going to allow some space to, for you uh, to, to present yourselves before God as, I guess, a willing a willing recipient of what God might have. Uh, We come from all different places. Certainly there's been a lot of information given. I don't know where you are. I know where I'm at, and I could really use this. Uh, So let's, let's be open to what God might have, and then I will pray for us, and we'll get into the book of Acts. Lord God, your word is a good one, and it's a challenging one, and it's an inviting one, and it's a convicting one. And I pray that we would be people. I pray that I would be one who is open to what you have to say. Thank you for, for, you, for that you make the first move, that you are a God who's not distant, but are, you are a God who is near, and that you are a God who wants to speak. Help us to listen. Calm our hearts wherever we might be and whatever we're bringing God, I pray that your voice would be the one that's loudest for us. Uh, I pray that we would be so overwhelmed by the type of God that you are this morning and be moved to, to really hand over our lives to you in trust and surrender. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you'd like, you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the verses 17 through 35. Again, as I said before, this is the second half of Acts, which really focuses in on the life of Paul and the ministry of Paul. And Paul has been over to different places, he's been traveling, and we see him take, come to this place really to meet with the elders of Ephesus, because he wants to give them a parting word. And it's in this word we hear Paul's pastoral heart, and it's a really beautiful Heart And ultimately, what he's wanting to say about what ministry looks like. And that's actually where I would like to begin, is with this question. Is What does faithful ministry look like? What does faithful ministry look like? Now, I would imagine when you hear the word ministry, you have an idea of what that means, and I'm curious what that would be. For some, it might mean this 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 program or this thing that we do uh, at church, it, 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 that we have a certain type of ministry, ministry to um, high schoolers or middle schoolers or men's ministry or women's ministry. So it could mean that, that we that there's this, some specific program that we're talking about when we talk about the word ministry. It might mean this, this, the church at large, that there's some specific church ministry. We're talking about what a church does uh, when we use that word ministry. Again, I'm curious what comes to mind for you when you hear that word ministry and then what it looks like for a ministry to be faithful. Because in the New Testament, when the word ministry is used, it's used in a way of talking about serving. It's used as if it's something that the people of God do. It's not a program that the church is responsible for. It's not even necessarily a church as an organization. Rather, ministry is serving for the purposes of building up the body of Christ. Now, Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to be one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he continues, The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So why do I bring all this up before even getting into Acts, like parsing out this word ministry? It's because I think we think of it in very narrow terms. When we define or when we talk about what faithful ministry looks like, often we define it in terms of what a place actually does, the, the external components of it. We might think that a church's ministry is thriving or successful because the preaching is incredible, because the music is outstanding, because the programs that a church, is, that a church offers are, are able to meet every single need that one might have. We often think very narrowly in terms of what ministry is and what it means. But when we think of the New Testament terms, ministry means it's something that we are all part of and are all called to do and have all been given gifts by Christ through His Spirit to do. And I bring that up because Paul is going to be talking about his ministry and in the ministry he is passing on to this particular church before he leaves them. And I don't want us to exclude ourselves from the people he's talking to because he's talking to all of us about what faithful ministry looks like but paul in typical fashion uses himself as an example he's often saying do what i do follow me and as in the way that i follow christ we see this in first corinthians 11 1, be imitators of me as i am of christ philippians 4 8 through 9 Finally, beloved, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, whatever is pleasing, commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul uses himself as an example and will use himself in this final exhortation to this particular church. So let's go. Verse 17 in Acts 20. So, from Miletus, he sent a message to Ephesus asking the elders of the church to meet him. When they came to him, he said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly and from house to house, as I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. And now, as a captive to the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. But I do not count my life of any value to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. Now, in that, in that long passage, Paul, speaking to these elders of this church, which is, in a way, speaking to the entire church, is wanting to say, look at my life, look at my ministry. And if we were to do that in the way that he describes it, we would see three things about Paul's faithful ministry, of how he defines it, of how he understands it. Now, the first thing about Paul's faithful ministry is that he is a messenger of God's grace. He is a messenger of God's grace. He has a message to proclaim, and it is one of grace. We see that at the end of 2024. But I don't count my life of any value. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. Now, the second thing we see of Paul's faithful ministry, of how he understands it, is that he's a witness to Christ's life. Now, Luke doesn't want us to miss this here. As he's describing what Paul is saying, he is is likening it to the person of Jesus. Now, there's even a sense in which Paul is saying he's turning his face toward Jerusalem, which is to remind us of that time when Jesus was going to be leaving his disciples, turning to Jerusalem to go and to then be crucified. The whole understanding of Paul's life is wrapped up in the life of Christ. He cannot make sense of his life outside of the life of Jesus, and we're not to make sense of his life or his ministry outside of the life of Jesus. Again in 24, I don't count my life of any value to myself. That's a sense in which he is is wanting to lay down his life for the purpose of Christ and what Christ is calling him to. Now the third thing about Paul's faithful ministry, as he described it, is that he's dependent On God's spirit. I mean we saw that in a couple times of when he says that he was captive to the spirit in verse 22 That he's then on his way to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen except that the Holy Spirit Testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me So these three things are the ways that Paul understands his ministry to be about and what he's to be doing And then, what we're going to see in the next passage is that he is going to then suggest that is what the church's ministry is to be about as well a messenger of God's grace, a witness to Christ's life, and a dependent on God's spirit. So, now turning in verse 25. And now I know that none of you, so he's going to be transitioning from himself, speaking and exhorting these leaders, these elders of this church. I know that among you I've not gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will ever see my face again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I'm not responsible for the blood of any of you. Which sounds harsh, but he's actually not saying I'm not responsible. He's saying he's giving up. He is entrusting their life to what God has. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Now keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. I know that after I've gone, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Some even from your own group will come distorting the truth in order to entice the disciples to follow them, and therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to warn everyone with tears. Now listen again. And now I commend you to God and to the message of his grace a message that is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. You know for yourselves that I work with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all this, I've given you an example that by such work, we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So knowing that Paul's ministry was made up of this sense of being a messenger of God's grace, a witness to Christ's life, and a dependent on God's spirit. Did you hear that in his exhortation to the leaders? Because our faithful ministry is to be in the exact same way. We are to be messengers of God's grace. We are to be witnesses to Christ's life, and we are to be dependent on God's spirit. So I want to tease out these three things as we think about Um, our community, our ministry with one another, to one another on behalf of what God has called us to do. And you look at these three and you're like, well, yeah, obviously, this seems like it's a no-brainer. But if you think about how often we construct, I'll speak for myself, If, if I think about how often I construct my life in order to make sure that I don't need to be these three things, it's pretty astounding. And I want to tease some of that out. So these three elements. So a messenger of God's grace. See, Paul had a message about the kingdom of God as come to this earth through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And one of the most significant components of that message is that it was a message of grace. That the story that God was telling is one of scandalous, extravagant grace. A story of welcome that was inclusive to those others wanted to keep away. A story of repentance, that because it is a message about God's grace, it makes repentance possible. That came up in this passage. Because God is a God of grace, we can therefore turn from our ways of how we've ordered and constructed the world in order to follow after God. It's a story of inheritance. It's a story of receiving what God has made possible in the person of Jesus. I just want to share with you some a scripture from Paul in Ephesians 2. Let these words wash over you. And imagine Paul is preaching to you. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We know that all too well. I'm going to stop there. We know that phrase all too well, but listen to it afresh. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Amen? We were once dead, but now because of God we are alive. By grace, we have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. This is the message that the church has to tell. An incredible, scandalous message of grace. A person who tells it very well is a a man named Brennan Manning. He says this, My message, unchanged for more than 50 years, is this. God loves you unconditionally, as you are and not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. It is the message of grace, a grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wages as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till 5, and Brenning Manning was that grinning drunk. A grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal reeking of sin and wraps him up and decides to throw a party, no ifs, ands, or buts. This grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might to try to find something or someone it cannot cover. Grace is enough. Jesus is enough. Is that the message that you need to hear this morning? That grace is enough, that Jesus is enough? Because that is the message that we have to tell. That is the message that the church has to proclaim. That grace is enough, that Jesus is enough. But think about, and he says this here, we huff and puff and try to find something or someone that this does not cover. We try to construct our lives in such ways that we don't need to be scandalized by grace. We want to earn what God wants to give why because otherwise it is just too scary it means i am not in control it means i am ultimately not the one with power it means i am ultimately the one whose hands are open and says father forgive me a sinner but that is the incredible message that god has for us grace is enough jesus is enough and that is the message that we grace long beach we christians everywhere have been given to proclaim and to give and to share and it is remarkable and it is scandalous and it violates every core of who i've been taught to be which is someone who needs to work and to prove over and over and over again that i matter or that i've earned something Do you need to break the chains this morning of that burden? Because God has done so in Jesus, and his grace is sufficient for you. A witness to Christ's life, the second sort of marker of faithful ministry, of what our faithful ministry is to be, And again, as I said, Paul casts his whole life in light of the life of Jesus. That in order to make sense of Paul's life and what he did, you need to understand who Jesus was and what he did. And I am convicted by that. Does my life make sense outside of the life of Christ? That is a convicting question. Does your life make sense out of the life of Jesus? Could somebody tell the story of your life and, and have Jesus no part of it? That should not be for people like me who call ourselves Christian. Our life should not make sense out of the person of Jesus. And so what were the, what were the different textures of Christ's life that Paul brings up here that we're to embody. I mean, one is humility. That's a word that comes up in this passage in 2019. There's also this sense of self-giving love as we see in the life of Jesus, that, that Jesus gave his whole self for the world. There's also a shepherding component. I mean, when Paul is talking to these elders, to these shepherds, he's actually talking to them, even talking about the protective element that shepherding takes within a community. Why? Because there are going to be people even within the community who want to distort this message of grace, which we see Paul work out in so many of the different letters when they make it not about grace, but about earning, about something else. But there's a shepherding component to Christ's life and therefore to our ministry. And then ultimately in 2035, there needs to be a component of caring for the weak. In all this, he says in verse 35, I've given you an example. But by, that, by such work, we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, faithful ministry means that it needs to make sense only in the life of Jesus. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, we get this incredible picture of who Jesus is. You've heard this, no doubt. But think about this passage in light of the shape that our ministry is to take with one another and in the world. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The lenses that we are to wear as we think about our life and how to make sense of it is the life of Jesus. It is a life that is moving toward the cross, of giving oneself up on behalf of others. Mark 10, 42 through 45, Jesus called them and said to them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them And their great ones are tyrants over them, but it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Our life is to be shaped and formed by the person of Jesus. We've been saying around here that we want to be people who are learning from Jesus how to live and love like Jesus. And part of that means having a cruciform life. Now, a cruciform life is a life that is shaped by the cross, shaped by self-giving, holding nothing back in order that others might take precedence in order that others might be served in order that others might be loved that is the life that Jesus showed us is the life we ourselves are called to when people think about our ministry at grace again not the extremities but I'm talking about the the the, the heartbeat the soul of our of our church do people think of us as people who are completely and utterly self-giving and humble and caring for the weak, and shepherding. Do people think of me that way? Do people think of you that way? This is the type of life that, through the Spirit, God is wanting to shape within us, a life marked and defined by the person of Jesus. Lastly, dependent on the Spirit, now, a few textures to this dependency, as we see, is, is there's a sense in which the Spirit is leading Paul, speaking to Paul. And then he says it's appointing those who are leading this particular community of people that he's talking to. But at the core, it's this ultimate dependence on the Spirit. That to be led, to be moved, to go this way, to go that way, is because the Spirit is active in speaking and saying something. Are we dependent? Are we dependent people? Again, we construct lives in such a way that we don't need to be scandalized by grace, that we don't need to live a cruciform life, and that we don't need to be dependent. I try to live a way that doesn't need anyone, ultimately, then, doesn't need God. That's a scary place to be. Being a Christian in America is hard. You know why? Because we don't often need Jesus. But we do. And we need to be dependent. Our life needs to depend upon what God has done in Jesus and continues to do through the Spirit. Galatians 5 Paul says this, "...live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things." Against those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. See, our ministry together, our ministry as Christians. Again, I'm not talking about an organization, I'm talking about people who the Spirit of God has brought together as the church. Our ministry is to be defined by those who are messengers of God's grace, that God has given, that we have an inheritance, that we are welcome. It's to be a witness to Christ's life that ultimately we are to give up completely ourselves on behalf of the other, and that we are then then be dependent upon the Spirit, that we need God to lead us, to guide us, to appoint us, to empower us. That is what faithful ministry looks like. And to close, I suppose these are my questions, just keeping those three things in view. Like, as you consider your life, as you consider your ministry you're serving, building up the body of Christ, as you consider Grace Long Beach as a collective of people who've been called to do that, are these your markers of faithfulness? Are these your markers of what it actually means to be a church doing what God has called it to do? Or do we add on all of these other things then missing these core components of what we've been called to? I'm not saying these other things that we might like or appreciate or desire from a church are bad. What I'm saying is we can have the best things. Every single thing could be the absolute best, and we can be missing these three things, and that is dangerous. This is to be the heartbeat, the very soul of our ministry together. God's grace Witness to Christ's life and dependence upon the Spirit. So, what are your markers? Are these your markers? Are these my markers? I mean, is our primary message one of God's grace? Is that our primary story that we're telling the world? A God who is incredibly gracious and welcoming. A God who, who gives us an incredible inheritance? A God who says that by grace you've been saved through faith? Or are we promoting often a certain type of spirituality that is saying, yes, but, or yes, and? There is no yes, and. It is God giving. Because there is no message that is more important to tell. Been the one of God's grace. Now, does the life of Jesus, especially as we look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, climaxing in that death on the cross, is that how we define love? Is that how we define our ministry toward one another, of humility, of self-giving, of shepherding, of care for the weak? Jesus says this in Luke 9. If any of you want to become my followers, let them them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. There is no other way to live for us than to live as Jesus lived, making our way to the cross so that we might then be vindicated and raised up by God. Finally, is our posture, is your posture one of dependency, ultimate reliance on the God who is empowered and who leads by the Spirit? Are you dependent on the Spirit? Because there is no voice more important than the Spirit's voice. So I guess I want to close thinking about these three questions. Are we messengers of God's grace? Are we bearing witness to the life of Jesus? And are we dependent on the Spirit of God? And I trust that God might want to speak all three to you, maybe only one, and I wonder what that might be. And again, for some, you need to hear that God's grace is sufficient for you. You can stop working. To earn God's delight, because it's already been given wholly and completely. For others, it might be this sense in which you feel like power needs to take a certain form because the power exemplified on the cross is not power. No, we're supposed to like, we're supposed to pick ourselves up by the bootstrap. We're supposed to, we're supposed to do, we're supposed to have the most important, incredible, powerful voice of all the other voices. But what if, what if the way to bear witness most faithfully to what Jesus is doing is by giving up, by giving ourselves over to Jesus, by caring for the weak, in our humility, in our self-giving love? Maybe that's where you are. You've, we want so desperately to the, for the church to regain some sort of power. has all the power it needs it's just been shown in the cross which is a hard road to walk finally maybe you're convicted or you're moved or you're invited by the sense of dependency on the spirit have you been trying to live life your own way have you been trying to just stop listening to those voices that you know aren't speaking the truth and that's just not working Because there is a voice, God's voice, through the Spirit who wants to speak the words to you, that He has you, that He will lead you, that He will guide you. And that's the voice of the Spirit. So I don't know where you are this morning, but I'd like to think that God has had a word for you and ultimately a word for us. And my hope is that this would be the heartbeat this would be the heartbeat of our ministry together that we are messenger of god's grace that we are witnesses to christ's life and that we are dependent ultimately on god's spirit thanks be to god come forward now